The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, 100th episode Tom, and I am joined, as always, every other week by my co-host. Dissertation Lab Dan. They kind of aligned on the same week, and it's been a constant conversation topic for the past year. What lab is Dan in, Tom? (laughs) Right, which you actually... Gave me the scuttlebutt on this, yeah. some might say. Some could say that, I guess. Dan's face said I would never say that word, probably because he's not on an old pirate ship. Um, but you know what? Maybe I am. And fi- and maybe everyone should find their own pirate ship, Stan. Well, and Tom, your new house is an old pirate ship. I don't think that's been confirmed yet, but it is an old pirate ship. People don't understand that. Well, it may look like I'm in the upstairs of a normal house that actually i'm in an artisanal east nashville pirate ship yeah yeah it's been overturned so you're actually looking at like the bottom of the ship right now which serves as the roof of your house that's right they everything in here is actually bolted to a ceiling (laughs) yeah yeah um but uh yeah i mean before i completely derailed what you were going to say uh there's a pretty big update for our listeners in terms of the type of animal you do experiments on. Yeah, I mean we we started this year, I mean uh my this my school year I should say with a with a froggy lab and I'm going to the froggy lab. Right. So by that you mean Dan kills frogs now for genetics research, not fish, which lo- long-time listeners know why this is a huge deal. How many some would argue just not funny and unnecessary <laughs> jokes have been made about the fact that Dan kills fish every day, which is, yeah, I guess the joke comes from you though. You just always tell people, what do you do for a living? And you just say, kill fish. Cause you don't want to explain genetics research. Well, yeah. And most people, once you like start describing research, they think it like they start out, Oh, that's really cool. And then you start describing it and their eyes glaze over. So that's why I just uh, cut to the chase and say, I kill fish. Yeah, and now it's going to be I Kill Frogs. Frogs and actually there's a lot of, there's some uh, human cell line work. So cells as well, but. But they're going to say, do you kill people? (laughs) No, human cells. Like, you know, you know, when you hear uh, like something about research about a new treatment for cancer and it was always from a human cell line. That's what I'm talking about. It's just an immortalized cell line that's been, you know, around for like 50 years. Like he like oh that yeah. okay well I suppose we should move on though to the first reader mail Amy Bill Chief writes in just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon and he says Tom and Dan here's a random fact that left me speechless when I realized it my in real life boss and his immediate boss are literally named Tom and Dan I was at a total loss for words when I realized this and thought I'd share I wish I was kidding but what are the odds. 
Amiable Chief, what are the odds that I had two senior supervisors that were that were directly above me at General Motors that were named Tom and Dan as well? I mean, so the odds are better than you'd think. Apparently, <laughs> I'll just throw another crazy wrench in there that I Uh-oh. just made. I just made that connection. Two of my professors this semester, Tom, are Tom and Dan. All right, I think I think that's stretching it more. I think the linking there <laughs> was that they directly work together, and he has to see a Tom and a Dan that are always around each other every day. It's true; they do directly work together, but not less directly than a boss than a boss a subordinate relationship. Okay, so the but these two professors you do see around all the time mm-hmm. together. Okay, I guess that works. So there's lots of Toms and Dans. I mean, one could say it's a conspiracy of Toms and Dans. Maybe <laughs> this is the conspiracy of Toms and Dans. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, can can you really do better than a Tom and a Dan? Some people in the comments definitely think so, but others, <laughs> not so much. All right, uh, let us move on then to corrections and omissions. So Carbon Cry writes in as he probably almost always does for the corrections section. Um, And he says, in the last Broken Silicon, Dan claimed that heavy migraines every month is unbearable. This is a common misconception. I have bad migraines twice or thrice per month, yet I somehow bear it and survive and live on. Sticking out tongue emoji. But yes, it sucks. You do get used to the fact that 20% of days will be spent with migraines. That would be not very fun. I'm I'm just speaking to my from my own perspective. (laughs) That would sound pretty awful. I mean, I guess you adapt to whatever whatever you have to deal with. And I don't know, I used to get not migraines, but headaches a ton. And you do learn to live with a headache. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that when you think about like injuries or things you have to deal with, Oh, I don't know if I can deal with that. But I mean, there's this one time I was, you know, this Dan, I think in 2018, it had to have been, yeah. I was like really, really sick that fall just with some bizarre, they said mono-like virus, not mono guys, a mono-like virus and a couple of their infections. And it was just, yeah, that was the fall that I couldn't remember things. Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and then you look back on it and go, I actually, Dan, I don't know when I wrote this, but recently I was going through my old files and backing things up. And I found a Word document that one of my doctors told to write down symptoms every day so they could start tracking it. And they were horrifying. <laughs> it was like today couldn't remember this pounding head as like a headache, this, this searing pain here. Like I like went through it and I was like, oh, my God. And you just yeah. I've already forgotten how bad that was. But I just lived with it. I just. Oh. Yeah. And then you got over it and your brain quickly is like, all right, we're not going to think about that anymore. Yep. And now we will only think about AMD Intel and NVIDIA for the next whatever many years. <laughs> Um, QH Freddy writes in and asks, read the XTXH Navi 21. I would like to bring up just the fact that these new Navi 21 XTXH dies that everyone's talking about as the 6900 XTX are are just a new stepping of the die. One of the limitations with the original XTX die, uh, the lower end configuration, was that the clock generator didn't go past 3 gigahertz. So it was physically impossible for the card to operate faster. The whole overclocking community was up in arms about this seemingly arbitrary limitation. And my understanding is this is why AMD made the new XTX H stepping. The clock gen is reconfigured to support higher speeds. 
Several people I talked to expect all 6900 XTs to eventually be produced with the XTX-H stepping, but for now, AIBs will probably use it as an excuse to squeeze the market for extra fully unlocked eyes, at least until the 3 gigahertz cores have cleared the channel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we knew that it was just another stepping of the 6900 XT, didn't, or, or the uh, of Navi 21, but... I guess it's interesting that three gigahertz, as you say, arbitrary limiter, like we are, cards really are starting to get to that uh, arbitrary limitation that, I don't know, eight years ago seemed impossible. Yeah, a lot of people expect RDNA 3 to hit three gigahertz now. And I've, of course, been sent multiple, multiple, by the way, guys, I've been showing you all of them, bogus (laughs) you know, supposed leaks in my email box about RDNA 3 at, like, you know, high clock speeds. I would just say that from what I've heard, RDNA 2 clocked a bit higher than AMD expected. A bit Mm -hmm. higher. I mean, obviously, the PS5 was always planned to be clocked incredibly high. I mean, I was always told between 2.1 and 2.4 gigahertz was the design goal since, I mean, end of 2018, I technically started the channel. That was always there. They were always planning to do that, but that they got a bit more than they expected. I, I think, on, I don't know that we're going to have three gigahertz cards. Maybe, well, I shouldn't say ever, right? We have five gigahertz processors, so who knows if eventually there will be an architecture where they can get it, you know, higher than three gigahertz. But I don't know. I guess all I'm saying is, uh, I don't know that we should immediately expect more than that. Yeah. And I think... 3 gigahertz is already, I don't know though, I mean, I had a launch 6800, uh, 6800 XT Nitro Plus, and that thing hit 2.8 gigahertz, so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't be surprised if overclocked ones did. I, I wouldn't bet that any of them are stock or default going to be 3 gigahertz, but um, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if RDNA 3 overclocks to 3 gigahertz sometimes. Yeah. Ben Cannon writes in and says, In episode 98, you said the NVIDIA CMP equivalent to the 2070 was $700. Um, So that was like a rough estimate so I could do math to see how many dies were shipped, right? Because if I'm remembering correctly, Ben, this is in reference to an article about like, I think it was $30 million worth of NVIDIA cards sold directly to a mining firm. And so I said, well, if we look at the CMPs, and then we assume that they're charging oh, yeah. a little more than the gaming cards. Let's just assume all of the cards were $700 worth. So that's not to say that I thought the equivalent necessarily was that. I just said, let's assume they paid that much for a card because I have no idea which CMP cards they bought. But um, continuing his correction, the $700 CMP card isn't the 2070 equivalent, but rather the 1660 Super equivalent. This makes no sense at all. But it will ultimately sell out, so I don't know. The mental gymnastics you have to justify this purchase is insurmountable, but I'm also the person who justifies a 6700 XT because I could sell my dying 1060 for 340 And yes, it was crashing at stock settings, my Vega 56 for 550 Yeah, I, I will say, though, that that is maybe even more than I expected them to sell it for. Like, I didn't have the prices at the time, so my estimate was based on some guessing and yeah, I guess I thought they would charge, what did I think? Over a thousand for the 3080 equivalent and probably like 700 for the, yeah, for the 3070, well, not even 3070 equivalent, but that 700 for a 1660 equivalent. Look, it's, it's just, 
If you're a mining firm, you can guarantee you got a bunch of the exact same card from NVIDIA and it'll never have limiters in the drivers. So that's why they can charge that much. And and when you're at a uh, when it's about uh, productivity or when you're at a (laughs) when you're at an industrial level, you're going to pay the price that they ask you to pay for (laughs) for the equipment you need. So they can really charge not whatever they want, but they can charge uh, (laughs) pretty much whatever they want when. If we're like comparing it to, you know, what consumers are buying. Well, and to jump in here, some people would say, well, I thought you've made this argument that they can write their own drivers and build their own boards. Oh, they can. And they are for as many of the other cards they're getting a hold of. But I wouldn't be surprised if some of these firms are just doing both. They have people scouring the Internet to buy up as many of the gaming cards and get them directly from AIBs, which, you know, we know XFX has done that, by the way, Mm -hmm. as possible. But then in parallel they're also just making these big deals directly with nvidia because more is better if you're mining in ethereum you want all you want the majority of the hat well obviously not the majority but as much of the hash rate as you can get as soon as possible or you could just have firms with i i don't know how many of these firms really exist but firms with different approaches because like yeah you'd have to have to remember yeah building boards and stuff like that that would require not just an engineer that would probably require like a team of engineers to you know, get that working in house. Yes. All right. So you guys have a lot of corrections here. We got two more. Uh, UWHM, uh-huh, a whim, writes in and out and says, Resident Evil 8's 45 frames per second mode actually means the frame rate is unlocked. For some reason, they decided that was a better idea than a 30 FPS lock. Because from what I'm seeing, it runs in between 30 to 45 FPS on average, which makes no real no, makes no real sense to not lock it at 30 at that point. Aliens Colonel Marines just had a typo with the tether. Oh, and now he's talking about the uh, Colonial yeah. Marines uh, error on the Wii U port that was then fixed with an I and I one one I think character change on the I and I file on PC. Um, but I, I, let's just talk about the Resident Evil Eight one uh, instead of two different ones here. So I have Resident Evil 8, and I'm telling you on PS5, it's definitely running 60 most of the time. And from what I've seen from NX Gamers uh, benchmarking and Digital Foundry, I believe, as well, although I mostly looked at NX Gamers, uh, both the Xbox Series X and the PS5 are generally above 50 almost the entire time. In fact, most scenes, they're above 55, especially in the case of the Xbox Series X that with the ray tracing mode seems to run like 5% better frame rates um so but of course then the ps5 like loads four times faster quite literally like yeah. over four times faster almost five times faster like, it, like I, and it is impressive it just uh when you load on the ps5's resident evil 8 it literally just phases in and out of a black screen like they promised it would mark yeah. cerny wish more games did mark cerny by the way but going back on subject i'm not sure what that you are trying to correct though because the xbox series x definitely runs above 45 most of the time in the ray tracing mode the ps5 also does the 45 is supposed to be like worst case scenario and one of the most intensive scenes now the series s definitely does not (laughs) yeah that one again i don't know why i i honestly think they should have done 1080p ray tracing mode on the series s because it was below 40 often and usually below 50 so 1080p probably would have capped it at 60 just fine and then you can give it 1440p 60 or maybe even 
you know, half 4K checkerboarding. Uh, but yeah, so that version probably could have used a 30 FPS cap or again, just a slightly lower resolution instead, please. On, honestly, whatever the uh, <laughs> whatever the the Series S can run it at, because I don't know, the Series S seems to be arguably not, it, it's not clearly weaker than the uh, Xbox One X, but seems like in some scenarios you could argue it is <laughs> right. It's like, how would I phrase this? So the One X doesn't do ray tracing in games, at least, yeah. well, it doesn't do what we call ray tracing now. It can do ray tracing. Old That last-gen consoles can do it and did sometimes in limited amounts uh, for specific effects. But and, and obviously its processor is, though better than the other last-gen consoles, the One the X is, I mean, it's like a fourth as good or something as the Series S processor at most. It's pro- I don't even remember. I mean, it's probably less than that. It's probably like a sixth. So, yeah, I mean, its processor isn't nearly as good but when it comes to running literally in 4K, it seems to consistently be better than the Series S, and that's because it has substantially more bandwidth. And actually, even when you account for the IPC increase going from you know GCN to RDNA architectures, it seems like the graphics card itself is probably a hair stronger than the Series S as well. Again, yeah. unless you're at really low resolutions because the clock speed probably helps the series s catch up then and about and below 1080p but i mean the one x is never running games in 1080p anyways or i'm sorry in 720p anyways yeah so i guess at lower resolutions maybe but it's stronger but yeah you're just not going to get 4k games in the series s i i don't think Maybe it, and I don't. I mean, look, uprising some old games, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Like it was like a launch Xbox One game, sure. Which, speaking of Xbox One, that one could use a 30 FPS cap in Resident <laughs> Evil 8, from what I could see. But uh, maybe you're again, maybe you're thinking of the Series S, which yeah, definitely had some pretty big problems with that mode. All right, last correction here, which of course is from Carbon Cry, and he says Intel graphics correction number two, graphical boogaloo. Just to specify, AVX 512s was developed for Larrabee, and the Xeon Phi was a continuation of Larrabee with a shifted focus. It was apparent the concept of Larrabee would not be competitive against GPUs, so Xeon Phi was designed to bridge the gap between CPU and GPU floating point performance, while also being full of x86 and more low-level flexible compared to GPUs. Also, Xeon Phi Atom Cores had SMT4, wink. Really, you can pile threads on arbitrarily if you want with this. The issue is getting it to be beneficial. Z, Xeon Pi was very specific, and that's why SMT4 was on the Atom Cores, and it worked in specific apps. And that was old Atom, not even Tremont. <laughs> yeah, so there's uh, more evidence Intel may be working on. As do- I mean, look, they've done SMT4 before, you know. Yeah, well, this idea, AMD and Intel... It's coming, guys. Um, and like I've hinted at a million times, Intel's working on it for some architectures, and I really think AMD is still as well. Once again, I'll just go back to there's there there's no way they're n- not at least working on it in like a prototypical sense. Right, and it just didn't... It was just probably too soon for Zen 3, even though they did have some very early samples that ran SMT4. It's just a little too early. Like, let's make sure we can. I mean, I mean, honestly, let's see what happens with Intel's big little design on Alder Lake. Can that schedule correctly? If that can, well, then it might be time to bring SMT4 with like Zen 5 or some or maybe specific versions of Zen 4. Again, that wouldn't surprise me. 
It would not surprise me, and I happen to know about special versions of Epic Milan. It would not surprise me if there's even a special version of like Zen 3 with SMT4 or yeah. something still. Like, I think people are missing that. There really are versions of Zen 3 out there with SMT4. You should not be surprised if that ever comes out. Okay. All right, guys. Let us finally do this here. Story number one. Copite suggests next-gen NVIDIA is late 2022. And I have a little write-up here. In MLID's opinion, no leaker has come close to matching the consistency of Copite 7 Kimmy's track record for leaking NVIDIA GPU information months or even years before said info becomes public. He has just said some interesting stuff. In short, it seems like NVIDIA's next architecture after Ampere will not launch until later than people, and I put this in quotes, expect. In fact, Ampere may be all NVIDIA has to late 2022, according to this Twitter leaker. Moore's Law is Dead also confirmed independently recently that no professional non-Ampere replacements are planned to sample until quarter one 2022 at the earliest. And this suggests indeed that a mid-2022 is probably the soonest something new will launch from Team Green. And there's nothing to say it might not be an updated Ampere 2.0 generation. So this probably doesn't require too much time, but I thought it would be good to throw this in here as a main story because I, you know, I have been, and it was speculation, speculating that perhaps NVIDIA will have an Ampere refresh at the end of this year, that maybe we'll see something, you know, it's there's been a lot of maybes thrown around, but I, I can't say obviously this is 100% confirmation, but, you know, Copai tweeting this, I mean, I would go as far as to say this is almost complete confirmation that we're not getting <laughs> anything but the current Ampere gen until, again, early to mid next year at the earliest and probably later that we'll get anything else. And again, after seeing this, I reached out to a couple people that helped me put together, you know, these are the people, you know, who got me A6000 before anyone else, RDNA2, and it's like, yeah, it seems like there's nothing coming till next year. Yeah, I mean, we we saw that with uh, Turing. I mean, Turing, uh, we were stuck on that for two years. I guess, I, I guess it seems like there might also not be a, an Ampere refresh line, which... I don't know. That would mean we're stuck with the 3090 as the top or slash 6900 XT as the top end of performance for a while. But um, I I think, as you said, Copite it's is one of the best leakers around. So I I think this is almost well, consistent. Yeah, and especially when it comes to Nvidia. Yeah, so. like he had information that way before other people <laughs> <laughs> about Ampere. Yeah, so Copite clearly knows. Someone, even though their profile picture is just a, an angry cat. <laughs> but, well, I mean, one of the things I like the most about Copite7Kimmy on Twitter, you guys, if you want to follow him, is that it's a cat picture, not an anime girl, which half of Twitter leakers just have an anime girl. I've even seen jokes, well, this guy is an anime profile picture, so he must be a legit leaker. <laughs> I, I do appreciate the the cat, so I don't feel a little, I don't know. The anime girl stuff always weirds me out a little bit, but whatever. There's uh, some weirdness to it for sure. Melodic Warrior writes in and says, I will bet everyone three YouTube videos that AMD's FXSR will only release once Radeon gets a good handle on engine compatibility and support for Dems and gamers alike. Therefore, I expect it will be released at the earliest November 2021 and at the latest 
February 2022, with leaks starting to pop up around end of June. Well, you know what, Melodic Warrior? Now, he obviously wrote this in a couple weeks ago or something, right, but right, not right before we recorded this episode. Hold on to that thought. And then Wooly Ram writes in and says, the year is 2045. Cybernetically enhanced colonists are terraforming Mars. A cure has been found for the common cold. But gamers, gamers are still waiting for news about a 3080 Ti to leak again. I mean, gamers, we're, we're the most oppressed group. We need that 3080 Ti, Tom. Well, I brought up both of these reader mails because they are perfect as we go into story number two. RTX 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti pricing and release date leak as coming out next to AMD FSR, question mark. A little right up here. Longtime listeners will know that Tom and Dan have been growing quite tired of speculating on the RTX 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti info, and now we don't really have to anymore. Sunday night, Tom confirmed the rough pricing and release date of said Ti models. In short... The 3080 Ti has AIB models coming out below 1100, or I'm sorry, below 1200 and up to 1600. This directly suggests that when you consider how much AIB marking things up recently, that the 3080 Ti is likely to be $999 for a budget, and I put that in quotation marks, 3090. Who can really call a thousand dollar MSRP that sells upwards of thirteen hundred or more budget? But this is the world we live in, Dan. Um, the thirty eighty Ti is also practically ready to paper launch right now, with many people already having their hands on it, and it is very likely to be announced by June. Uh, and again, which I believe video cards, I think I have a link to that as well, already confirmed that rough uh, release date as well. So I'm basically confirming what they've said about a release date. Uh, the 3070 Ti, meanwhile, should follow within two weeks of the 3080 Ti launch. And the AIB models will easily reach RTX 3080 prices based on what I'm being told, but I cannot confirm lower prices on these models yet. Nevertheless, it should logically have an MSRP between 550 to 600, but it will again, let me stress, balloon to 3080 or higher prices for some AIB models before scalpers even get their hands on it. And finally, the last part of this write up the timing is quite interesting, at least to the MLID team. Tom can confirm that surprisingly, AMD may actually have FSR, its DLSS competitor, ready this summer. And it sounds like it may be supported on everything with impressive performance, although not right at launch. I'll come to AMD graphics cards first. Although he is not privy to the specifics, Cortex claims to have specifics, and Frank Azor just confirmed with Kit Guru right before recording that gamers will not have to wait much longer for FSR. All evidence then really does point to AMD having an at least somewhat competitive DLSS competitor in quarter two or three of 2021, not late 2021 or 2022, Melodic Warrior. <laughs> All right, Dan, a lot of stuff just came out here leaking next to each other. Yeah, um, I <laughs> I don't know if the link there is intentional or if it's <laughs> just a coincidence. I, I find the idea that like them burying the FSR coming out with the 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti. Mm. I feel like that's, I don't know, the the two new graphics cards are... Well, actually, depending on what FSR is, I guess that might be the bigger story. Assuming that it's actually a good competitor to DLSS the instant it launches, which, you know, 
I'm doubtful of because it's a new feature, but one can hope. And doubtful to just assume that. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I don't know, <laughs> our speculation that uh, from like a couple months ago that, well, that I guess was a couple months ago. So really wasn't just around the corner back then. Was a maybe a little off that FSR was probably not coming out till later this year in like Q4. Let, let me say this though. If you would have asked me, how do I, I, it depends when you would have asked me, right? If you would have asked me right before RDNA 2 came out, when is the DLSS competitor coming out? I think I'm, I think you can literally look this up then. I'm sure I've mentioned it in those yeah. RDNA 2 leaks. Back then I said, well, I have no evidence it's going to be ready at launch, but I assume it'll be ready by the 6700 XT launch. And I would have even said that in January, I think most of the time that I feel like this is a feature they want, they should have ready for their mid-range launch, but they didn't. And so I would have said actually that it'll be out by June or summer or even spring for a long time until those bullshit March rumors came out, you know, I think in February, Oh, it turns out it's going to come out in March. And then everyone I asked said, no, it's not, it's not even around the corner. And then anyone I reached out to said, I have no word on this. And to be honest, some of my sources still don't have a great deal of details about FSR, but someone I really trust say it, it could be coming out around June. So I'm just saying it's not, completely detailed yet to everyone so it's not like it's ready to go now even though we're in may i would just say yeah expect it this summer right so end of june through summer at some point but i wouldn't double down on the exact date and i wouldn't double down on it being great Uh, i hear good things i hear that it should at least be way better than dlss 1.0 and better supported more quickly but at the same time I don't know. It took NVIDIA a very long time to get DLSS working well. I think you'd almost be a fanboy to assume AMDs will be better. I'm not saying it won't be. I hear good things, people. But I only hear good things. Yeah, Everyone is a hype for DLSS, too. Let's, let's just wait and see if AMD can really do this, beat DLSS at launch, because that would be quite a surprise. Bigger surprise than the release date. Uh, having healthy skepticism about all of this, just so you don't, I, I don't know, you're not always disappointed by what comes out uh, is good because there's there's no reason to have an expectation that FSR is going to be some killer new feature. Now, there's no reason to assume that it will be like uh, complete crap and worse than DLSS 1.0. Which I don't think it will. I think at a minimum it will be better than DLSS 1. I don't think AMD would launch it unless yeah. at the bare minimum it worked, they thought, it was beneficial to use in every game it came out in, or almost every game. I don't think it's like going to be like DLSS 1.0, where it was quite literally pointless and arguably worse than just using resolution scale. Yeah, and, and I, I also have to add on the other end of that, though, with the with it launching, I do feel like it does have uh, for it to not be a kind of I, I don't know the word uh, kind of embarrassing, like in hindsight, them announcing. FSR at the unveiling of RDNA 2. I feel like it kind of has to launch soon for it to not seem really stupid and, uh, I don't know, a bit deceptive <laughs> that they would have announced FSR alongside RDNA 2, given that it's been, if it launches in like summer, like late summer, so August, that would be almost a year since they announced that it was a feature. And even if it came out today, it would be like six months. Yeah, I would say even it coming out late June, it's a, it was a bit <laughs> a bit early to announce that new feature, even though, the, I don't know, 
they needed some hype for something to announce at that uh, press conference. Aside from, I don't know, being enthusiast level again. I, I think that was a pretty big deal, but I guess they thought they needed more. Well, I guess, you know, one of their recent shows, I don't remember which one, was kind of really boring, right? And you would think yeah. that if this was ready, they would have done it then. So clearly something's changed where they think, oh, we really do have it working sooner than we expected. But, and then I would just also point out, look, the longer they wait to launch this, the better it has to be. Like if this were to come out in November, for example, then it better be better than DLSS 2.0 and on everything because you've taken so long. You know, this, I, I would imagine that right now the balance is we got it working. We need to get this out. It is good enough that it will be. People will see this as a true competitor because if we wait till fall for it to be perfect, then people are just going to then DLSS 2.0 will be well supported on everything. And and a large part of FSR strategy seems to be that it will at the very least be supported on consoles, which I find interesting because they've already had kind of their own mm-hmm. versions of it. For a while now, like a lot of studios have been doing their own kind of trickery to run lower resolutions at consoles. But, you know, the fact that this might come to literally everything, including Intel and AMD uh, and NVIDIA graphics cards, which Scott Herkelman actually said publicly, by the way, guys, a couple months ago that this will be supported on more than just AMD desktop GPUs. That's an interesting move to just make it so maybe devs don't bother with DLSS. And I've seen a lot of people skeptical go, why would they do that? Well, it's conceivably would run better on AMD GPUs and they know DLSS is here to stay unless they give devs an alternative. This makes it so that they just use AMD's solution. And you but know, and I wouldn't assume it's coming to NVIDIA right away, guys. Let's not assume it, but... That, that's been a thing AMD has done in the past is their their solution is open source like with... Uh, why, can't I, why can't I think of... FreeSync, Jesus. Like that was also available to everything, I believe, right? Like... Yeah, it was NVIDIA that decided to still not support FreeSync, although they de facto do now. Well, with their <laughs> with their G-Sync DRM chips, like, yeah. All well, you don't need those chips anymore. Well, yeah, G-Sync at this point seems to just be like a manufacturing standard more than anything. Right, and this is pretty much the perfect time to make this play, too, because dev, like, DLSS take when it works really well it works incredibly well it almost is just this insane free performance boost at high resolutions for dlss's case but it also requires an immense amount of programming and work yeah like it, it must otherwise it would have worked way better at launch um and so i'm sure a lot of devs if there's an easy easier to implement version that's almost as good they'll go yeah we're just going to stick with the one that doesn't re- give us a headache to implement well, yeah, I mean, if DLSS works as they say it does, I mean, that requires a machine learning algorithm that they have to train to properly do uh, uh, to properly do anti-aliasing. So, yeah, I'm sure it involves a bunch of work to get that working. And so moving forward, though, yeah. I think the bigger conversation, which I said in my video confirming 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti pricing links in the description, guys is that it is really interesting that the 3080 Ti and FSR seem to be launching about the same time. You cannot tell me that's a coincidence. Something's going on here. One of them caught wind of the other, and they were like, we need to have this out by the time that's out. And I think both of them know that supply will start catching up with demand late summer, and that they both need to be completely ready by then. NVIDIA needs to have 
more cards that service every price point in case because they know people will choose the 6800 out of the third over the 3070 a lot of people will if things were actually in stock yeah. and they need a 3070 ti they can play with the price with more and then i also think amd knows that they need their software ready i've heard suggestions that they were waiting for supply to catch up with demand both of them and i would go a little bit, maybe. I mean, NVIDIA could have launched the 3080 Ti months ago. So NVIDIA definitely has been waiting for supply to catch up with demand or for something to make them release the stuff to flesh out the rest of their lineup. As for AMD holding FSR, I don't think so. I think they would have launched it sooner if it made sense. I think there was less urgency because everything was selling anyways. Maybe less urgency. I would agree with that. But I don't think AMD was quite literally just waiting. I think that's a little ridiculous. Yeah, but but it would be pretty fortuitous for AMD if uh, FSR launches alongside the 3080 Ti and that gives, or in 3070 Ti, and that gives the 6800 and 6800 XT, a, I don't know, five to 10 boost in per, percent boost in performance. It'd and probably a be a lot more than that. Okay, well, yeah. Five to 10 is nothing. It'd if probably it, be like 20 to 30. So if the LSS already gives that, so yeah, if this is going to be. So if it gives it a twenty percent boost in performance right when the thirty seventy Ti comes out, that would kind of take the wind out of uh, Nvidia sales a lot with their two new graphics cards. Where it's like, well, or just get the sixty eight hundred for cheaper. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing is the thirty seventy Ti. You know, people ask me about the performance every now and then, but I think it's obvious. And I've already done videos on it, frankly, but the 3080 Ti should be nine and a half percent better than the 3080, but it'll actually give you enough RAM. That's honestly the main reason you get 3080 Ti is so that you don't have RAM issues, um, which are real. I mean, we just looked at Resident Evil 8 benchmarks with ray tracing on and and some, you know, depending on the configuration of the PC, people are seeing frame rates fall apart in 4K on the 3070 and 3060 Ti, even though those cards would run it at 60 frames in 4K with ray tracing. So, yeah, well, nope, (laughs) they just lose to like way weaker AMD. Well, not way weaker, but yeah, maybe some far weaker cards, if depending on what AMD launches next, just because they don't have enough RAM. And uh, I guess let's put it this way. The 3070 loses to the PS5 and 4K, you know, and the 3060. (laughs) Yeah. And the 3060. Yeah, that is. So, yeah. So that's the weaker card that the 3060 should not be beating the 3070 in any benchmark, guys. RAM is an issue. It's really the main benefit of the 3080 Ti. Um, but what was what else was I going to say? And then, oh, yeah. And then the 3070 Ti, of course, just to be clear to everyone. I mean, I think the 3070 Ti could be a solid 10% better. I think it could actually be over 10% and edge out the 6800 slightly in rasterization performance. And I think that's what NVIDIA is going to try to do is just, you know, add those, whatever it is, 4% more uh, CUDA cores to the uh, 3070 Ti, give it uh, 30% more bandwidth, and then it could end up 15% stronger. I'm actually really curious how close it gets to the 3080 because I think it could get to a point where the 3080 is only like 15% better um, despite having using a significantly larger die that uses significantly <laughs> more energy. I, I really do expect the oh, yeah. 3070 Ti to basically be a 250 watt direct 6800 competitor with a little more performance. And then that's what they'll justify charging the same price despite having half the VRAM capacity, <laughs> which I, I would just point out that, and if you gave that 16 gigabytes, that'd be the only card I recommend if it's below 600. But the second it 
I'm sorry, eight gigabytes just is not enough for something that's on the heels of a 3080s performance. Oh. 10 gigabytes already wasn't enough. Yeah, or hell, even if they just gave it 12 gigabytes of RAM or could give it 12 gigabytes of RAM, that would... I, 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 just Anything more than yeah. eight, basically. Like, it's just not enough. Yeah, and I, I also kind of think, like we've said that for a while, that the 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti, once they launch, you said... I, I, the 3070 Ti might be like licking the heels of the 3080. I do feel like there's a good chance they're going to kind of make the 3080 look like a pointless card. I don't know if NVIDIA is going to discontinue the 3080, but I don't know. I I feel like that might be... Well, I mean, it's not going to be a pointless card at first if the 3070 Ti AIB models are selling for the same freaking price as the 3080, Dan. <laughs> oh, that's so true. that's how they're going to make it not pointless. Charge the same price. Daniel Vega Hyde writes in, and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. One thing I've noticed is when people either get a new GPU or are complaining they can't get one, they seem to have lower mid-range cards. I'm thinking this is one of the causes of the shortages in addition to everything else, that there's no new mid-range cards, and so everyone is aiming for the same higher-end models. What do you think? I've personally gone from the 5700 XT to the 6700 XT, and I made money on it because I sold my 5700 XT for more than I got the 6700 XT for. Although, to be fair, I was lucky in getting a good deal on a Nitro Plus 6700 XT. I mean, yes, that's part of it. But keep in mind, because things are, it's a chicken and the egg situation. Also, they're not releasing more cards because they don't need to. Yeah, it- uh, the the low the previous generation is the new mid range. That's just what I think is happening. I, well, there's the 3060, 3060 Ti, and 6700 XT. Those are mid range cards, but 6700 XT is sold as a high end card price at a minimum. And it, what we used to call it, I, yeah. the way I would put it, Dan, is the mid range is now five hundred dollars because gamers swallowed it. So, no, yeah, no, it's a mid-range card, and you're now paying $500, and I think you always will, because you guys decided that's what it should cost when you bought it. <sighs> Unfortunately, yeah. I'm um, not going to stop hammering that, guys. Prices will go down if you don't buy them. <laughs> if you buy them, prices will go up. I, I'm a little worried that there's just this panic that from lower to mid-range buyers that it's like, well, this might be the best it ever, it ever is, so I might as well try to get a new card right now. Or maybe just the demand as we've said again and again is boredom which i think a lot of the demand is boredom because yeah being locked inside yeah yeah from the uh pandemic but i mean there's that and also i'm i mean uh, something i want to point out again is no i i don't think everyone is swallowing these prices i think more people are i think it's right if you look at a pie chart more people probably are willing to than we initially thought but also there is still this large plurality that just isn't going to do it. I think it's, and I think that plurality is likely the least vocal people online too. The most diehard people are probably more likely yeah. to pay more. The least diehard are probably like, oh, guess I'm not buying any cards, which most of my friends and all of my friends of gaming PCs go, nope, not buying it now. Just let me know when I can. So what I'm saying is that's why NVIDIA knows they need to launch the third, like, the 3050 ti soon that's what when invit amd will launch the 6600 xt that's my point is that there are more people not willing to pay these scalper prices than you guys probably expect it's just they nvidia and amd know that they're not a consideration now but they will be they know most of the market isn't willing to pay these prices and that the shortages will end 
pretty abruptly, probably, well, not the shortages, I should say, but the sky high prices, not good prices. I'm not saying prices will be good, everyone, but they will stop being $900 for a 6700 XT. This second, all of a sudden, you just look around and go, oh, we're out of the suckers. So no more suckers. And then that's when AIBs will start lowering their prices. Yeah, because there there is a group of people that I just don't, a, a large, large group of people that I think are not willing to pay more than two or $300 for a graphics card. Like I know people that are still on uh, t- using 1070s, 570s, like there's still a bunch of people using what we would call low-end cards now because the fact of the matter is low-end still gets you 1080p 60 frames per second or even 1440p 60 frames per second in some cases. I think most people are just fine with that. Yeah, and again, I I would just stress that the people listening to this are mostly enthusiasts, I think, that more people than you would think are just not going to be willing to swallow these prices. And and again, that's why I say, hey, look, if you need a card now, paying 20, maybe even 30% above MSRP, especially because you can sell your old card, it, may, it makes some sense to do it, but just just keep in mind that like a couple months after you paid a thousand dollars for that sixty seven hundred XT, all of a sudden they could be a little bit easier to get on AMD's website for four eighty. All of a sudden you'll see more AIB models plopping below six hundred pretty regularly. I really think that when you look at this competition from both AMD and Nvidia to round out this long discussion about that story, which there's a lot to cover, so it's fine. You know, 3070 Ti launching, 3080 Ti launching next to FSR. Clearly, AMD and NVIDIA know that shortages won't be over, but could get better to the point where, you know, prices come down a little bit from where they are now. They want to have everything all ready, all of their ducks in a row ready before that happens. You don't want cards on store shelves and FSR is not ready or cards on store shelves if you're NVIDIA and they're like, yeah, no one's buying the 3080 anymore because the 6800 XT is finally $700. Yeah, so... I mean, the competition has been with supply for about six to eight months. Well, longer than that, but since the cards have came out and once (laughs) supply starts to meet demand a little bit, the competition is going to be between NVIDIA and AMD again. And that's that's how I closed the 3080 Ti pricing leak video is saying, I do think competition is going to heat up. It won't be boiling, guys. It's it's really not probably going to be until quarter one. But I think it's going to finally heat up soon. And it hasn't been heating up at all. There's been no competition. They've been competing with shipping cards, not each other. Um, But Sammy Good writes in and asks, This month I was able to buy both a 6800 XT Midnight Black and a 5900X. That's one of the hardest to get ones. If not, the, that is the hardest to get Zen 3. Directly from AMD for MSRP. It's possible, everybody. Yet I find myself in a moral dilemma. Now I have my old Vega 64 Nitro Plus sitting around, and I don't know if I should sell it at market value. I spent hours and hours trying to buy these components. So should I not try to recoup the cost of my time? Is there a difference between someone selling their old card at market value and scalpers that buy all the stock to gouge for profits from multiple people? It's not a life or death product, and it's totally up to the buyer to be financially responsible and say, no, I'll wait for a better deal. Even if I sold this card for its true value, what's stopping the buyer from trying to flip it for themselves? A lot of them would, man. What are you, Most people would, I think, actually. What are your thoughts? Who bears the burden of responsibility, the buyer or the seller? And 
uh, I already I put I pre-wrote a response. I would say I don't think I, I look, I didn't buy any of the products I sold recently with the intention of scalping. The Radeon 7, my old Vega 64. I'm trying to remember if there was another one. I think that was it. That's all I had left in terms of extra cards to sell that I thought were worth selling. But, you know, it's been a shitty year for shopping for PC components, for me, for everyone. If you have an old card lying around, one good thing, one good thing about this shitty year is you can actually make some extra money on that card you've had lying around. And so I guess my point is, after suffering through this shit, do you not deserve to have one fucking benefit of this shortage you didn't cause? I think you deserve it, Sammy. And I've seen people in the comments go, oh, that's terrible you sold that card for what it's selling for on eBay. Yeah, I did sell it for what it's selling for on eBay because it's been a shitty year. I haven't been able to buy anything and I'd be a sucker if I don't get the one benefit I can get out of this crappy situation. There's things that you can benefit from. No one's saying that you should be a scalper, but like you said, you spent all this time and it's been really hard. Yes, there's one ray of sunlight in this, and that's that you can at least sell your old card. I would take advantage of it. It's up to you guys if you don't, but I think it's absurd to think that you shouldn't. Yeah, I, I, I know. Like, I, I like how this is, this isn't a moral dilemma. It's not like you're, it's not like you could give a $12 vial of life-saving insulin to a guy <laughs> and you're like, well, the market value of this is $200, so I'm not going to give it to you. It's a luxury item that that you're selling for market value. This isn't some like huge moral quandary. I mean, this has been the typical uh, pipeline that people that a bunch of people have. They ha- buy a card, they use it for a f- one to three years, and then they resell it for market value on eBay. The market value just happens to be such right now that mm-hmm. it might the card might sell for more than you bought it for uh, three years ago. That's bizarre. I've never seen graphics cards be a good <laughs> financial investment before, but they are right Not now. to this degree. Is it immoral like, when you sell your house at a higher value when you, than what you bought it for? I don't think anyone would say that. No, it's you're selling it for the market value. You're not the one who made the market. And I would also point out that the people paying the highest prices on these cards are like 90% of the time miners, guys. Seriously. Like, I literally was sent a picture of my mate Radeon 7 in a mining rig after he got it saying, thanks, man, great shipping or fast shipping. <laughs> you know, like, guys, what I did then is I profited off of selling a car to a miner that if he would have not bought this Radeon 7, would have surely tried to buy a new 6800 XT or 3080. And then now there's a gamer, an actual gamer, who can't game on those new graphics cards. So you, I would even argue you're possibly helping the market by selling your old cards because demand is out of control too. It's not just miners. People want any card they can get. If you have an extra Vega, for example, lying around, it's lying around and people want a game. You're supplying the market with an extra card if you sell it. <laughs> That's like come another on. good way to look at it too. Yeah. All right. Let us move on to story number three. Moore's Law Zed gives early performance and release estimates for the RDNA 3. I have a little write-up here again. While other rumor sites reported absurd 3x performance increases for RDNA 3 over RDNA 2, Moore's Law is dead advised caution. Last week, Tom leaked out that well, RDNA 2 is unlikely to be Navi 6X, which by the way, guys, that's what you're saying, that 
Navi 3X is really Navi 6X, which is what 3X RDNA 2 would make it. Top RDNA 3 is, according to Moore's Laws Dead, at a minimum 40% better than the 6900 XT, and AMD is attempting to hit roughly 2X performance again. Although, to be clear, RDNA 3 should be expected right now, tentatively, to be more of a 60 to 80% increase if you're comparing top RDNA 3 to top RDNA 2. But this is a far cry from 3X. This performance increase will come from utilizing multiple chiplets, a 5 nanometer process, ray tracing and geometry engine enhancements, and of course, IPC increases. It will likely also launch quarter two, three next year if it doesn't slip to quarter four. But based on a couple of whispers, if it doesn't slip further, it could seem plausible that AMD could have a monstrous RDNA 3 card out end of quarter one or quarter two. And that would most likely be before NVIDIA moves past Ampere, which is quite exciting to think that AMD may actually take the crown. All right, Dan, thoughts? You know, I, I think this was a good video for you to put out like you were talking to me about it behind the scenes. Like, we need I need to put out this video to, you know, tamp down this idea that AMD is, or some people are going to run away with the idea that AMD is going to 3x performance this time around, which is a crazy assumption given that they double performance uh, by you know releasing high-end cards this time instead of stopping at the mid-range so i don't know a 50 percent performance increase is <laughs> uh is i think expected from the 6900 xt or over the 6900 xt and i'm i mean i'm excited for it to come out before ampere there's a i mean there's a follow-up to ampere because you know, that means AMD finally takes the performance crown again after, truly takes the performance crown after, I. how long has that been? Uh, 7970 kind of, maybe? It's. it's been I don't know. You, you could argue the 290X, so I'd say you're looking at like seven years, six years. By the time it comes out, seven years minimum, you know? Yeah, so I, I think that will be a big boon for AMD Mindshare that's you know, already running out of control a little bit, but it'll be a big boon for them. And I think that means AMD will be super competitive with NVIDIA. Well, so the mindshare thing is something to talk about. Anyone who doubts that AMD's mindshare is better than before needs to look at how quickly these rumors went up off the chain because like a couple people <laughs> yeah. tweeted that it could be. Like, I think it was like one person said above 2X, another person said, I think above 2.5X. All of a sudden, everyone, WCCF tech, I don't, I think video cards didn't report it was like, no. <laughs> and a few other people, but a lot of websites like Tech Power were just like nearly 3x performance increase out of nowhere. No one would have run this story about RDNA 2 in 2020 or 29, well, really 2019, because it's still yeah. a long ways away from launch, you know, but now that AMD is dominating the CPU space basically tying NVIDIA's top end and winning in efficiency slightly, that means that it's time to believe anything, basically. And I know some people would come in and say, but they're moving to chiplets. They're moving to five nanometer. Doesn't that mean 3X makes sense? And I would say, no, I, I mean, I think if they would launch something way cut down right away, first of all, like there's no reason to wait for 3X. And also the performance drop moving to chiplets is much, much higher than with a GPU with tons and tons of cores communicating 
in a parallelized fashion than it is with just, you know, again, like 16 CPU cores. Yeah. Like all of these, this data you're moving at immense amounts of bandwidth. I mean, look at the difference in bandwidth that a 3950X uses or 5950X uses versus Ampere or RDNA. We're talking about like a terabyte per second of data being moved versus you know, like a 10th that or something, yeah. basically. And they're like, were... data is heat. And so if you need to run effectively Crossfire without Windows realizing it's Crossfire at a minimum, or some new way of doing it with multiple chiplets, that's all data moving back and forth between GPU chiplets or tiles, you might call it, because Intel's been trying to get this working. And they found that they had to just go monolithic with the first gen of G with, well, I guess you might argue it's second gen, uh, DG2, because it was hitting 500 watts with just like two or three tiles eventually. And they said, this just isn't worth it. So if AMD manages to solve this and there's like a 30% performance loss, that's a huge accomplishment that Intel couldn't get to and probably won't be able to fix till DG3. But yeah, then you have to keep them think so. If they have, a, I don't know, a, a two-tile design, not talking about the I.O. Uh, <laughs> so two tiles with, I don't know, 80 compute units, 30% performance loss. If that's what they came out with, you, I don't think it would be triple performance. I think if there were some big IPC increases, you might get double again or something like that. I, I just think this idea of running away with 3x performance is insane. So what? It's going to be running everything at... 4K, 200 FPS or something? Is that what we're expecting next gen? <laughs> well, the design isn't even done, right? Yeah, I, know I know from a few sources that, and I've known since, you know, 2020, like summer 2020, that RDNA 3 uses multiple chiplets, at least in some of the designs, right, in testing right now. And that, but there's multiple ways you can do that. Obviously, it seemed like there was at least an IO die and then they'd have at least one GPU chiplet, but they could do that. They could all, and they could just stop there, like just at least to split out the IO on a different node. They could do that. They could have some IO on both dies. I don't think that's what they're going to do. They could even do a system where they have a core 80 compute unit die that has IO on it. And it's a master die to a slave 80 compute unit chiplet. Mm -hmm. They stack next to it or something. That's another way they could do it, but we don't know exactly how they could do it yet. And really AMD isn't, the, the design isn't done. This isn't coming out for probably a year, but at a minimum eight months or something. So to, to say, you know, for sure what it is, is a bit early. I think we'll get some pretty firm leaks actually within three months, but it, it's just a bit early. And to just come out of the gate expecting 3X performance I mean, that means that pretty soon you'll have people saying 4X performance. And at least from the people I've talked to, no one expects that. Although, again, the people I've talked to, around a 2X increase again, maybe even above 2X, is plausible. Could happen. It's just right now they're not sure they'll accomplish that. And so to assume, <laughs> I mean, 3X is ridiculous. Well, and then by July we'll be at 8X performance or something. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we're still really early into the leak cycle of rdna3 none of the we're at the point where we're kind of maybe seeing what some of the designs could look like but you know it's very early i don't think things start looking more leaks start looking more like what you'll actually see out of rdna3 until i don't know what like six to eight months before it comes out so 
Yeah, I think. Yeah, RDNA 2 performance estimates were all freaking over the place, Yeah, you know, until it launched. And there were people that made it 3X as well in some rumors. And I'm just like, no, 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 not again. Not again, guys. We're not doing this again. Yeah. So, so I don't know, like July or August, maybe we'll start seeing a, a, a somewhat more realistic picture of what RDNA 3 could look like. But even then, it's probably not going to be completely accurate. So don't assume anything you're hearing. Right, uh, don't assume an exact number being ascribed is going to be the end result because that's just not where we're at in the leak cycles yet. Exactly. Just assuming any exact amount is kind of ridiculous. It's just too early. Even AMD doesn't know. Yeah. Which again, that's why I reported AMD. I mean, at a minimum, it's going to be 40% better, but AMD expects basically 60 to 80%, but some people think they may be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat again and hit 2X. And so in 60 to 80%, that's a, that is a (laughs) good uplift in performance in a generation. It's not unheard of, uh, pretty rare right now unless you're talking about you know this last gen but yeah yeah keep in mind what that means too like rdna2 doubled performance simply because they actually made the high-end die (laughs) if they wouldn't have made the high-end die if they would have had big rdna1 which there was a design for it 384 bit 64 compute units if they would have had that i mean i it would have been more of like a 50 percent boost not 2xing you know so if they do double performance over this in a year and a half after launch, that's nuts. That is an insane accomplishment. That's, I mean, that's a more impressive accomplishment than what they did with RDNA 2 because, as For you sure. said, they didn't release the top RDNA 1 die. Which, I guess, two more things to say about this. Number one, again, I've said this many, many, many times, but AMD people I've talked to have always said about RDNA 2 uh, we think we'll be competitive in the high end and people are underestimating us, but we're not sure we're going to be able to take the crown and we certainly don't think we'll win everything. And they always said RDNA 3, though, we think we're going to win. Mm-hmm. We really think we're going to win with RDNA 3. We think what they're working on, what we're working on, we can do it this time. We're going to go all out. So I do think RDNA 3 could really just dominate things. Uh, I really do. Although, again, and then that brings me to the second final thing I want to say. I don't think it's going to be cheap, guys. Are you kidding me? I mean, look, keep in mind that if they double performance with the 7900 XT, although I imagine they probably call it the 7950 XT, because why not add another tier, um, to the 6900 XT, I think $1,500 minimum. I mean, we're talking about something where I would argue already 4K 120 is quite doable. If you double the performance of the 6900 XT, oh my God, you're... Yeah, you're, you are looking at 4K 240 hertz gaming. Yeah. So, AK60 easy. Then sell that for 1500 or hell more. And then release your uh, 7900 XT that's 60 to 80% stronger than the 6900. And sell for a that thousand. for 1000. Yeah. <laughs> and then the 6800 XT would probably then be like dual 64 compute units or something and be like 30, 40% better for 700, is what I would guess they would do. Yep. And I mean, look, though, if that comes out and NVIDIA just has at best an Ampere refresh that's competing with the 7800 XT at most, not the 7900, not the 7950 XT. I don't know. AMD just walked away with it. But also keep in mind that it's not just out of greed. Like this will cost a lot more to make. 
Five nanometer wafers are 60% more expensive than seven nanometer wafers, and now they're packaging multiple dyes. This yeah. should cost more, actually. So that's the only thing I will say is this isn't going to be cheap. And I'm hearing similar things about Zen 4, which people would be have noticed on the background. I have a Zen 4 thing on the whiteboard <laughs> and a bunch of dollar signs. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm guessing what that's going to be about. Uh, yeah, not not great news. Well, I don't know. It, I would say not great news for the consumer, but I guess we'll see what the what they're selling looks like. Maybe it's worth the price. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, it, again, it is just interesting to think that after these shortages start dying down, you could see a situation where some of the original graphics cards that miners bought flood the market next to an Ampere refresh, next to RDNA 3 taking the crown, next to Intel launching GPUs early next year. I just would really advise people that if you need a card, do what you got to do. But you understand everyone listening, RD, AMD may take the crown mid next year right after intel launches a decently competitive lineup right after supply is catching up with demand the, the prices will come down i think possibly by a lot early like mid next year like a lot and just keep in mind when you pay a thousand bucks for that 6700 xc it could be 400 like seven yeah. months or something i wouldn't be surprised at all by that especially if yeah if everything aligns like that then Things would I I would expect things will get a little bit better for people buying cards. Mm -hmm. Holden the gnome writes in and says, "Hey Tom, considering that AMD reference coolers were far better uh, for RDNA two than the past generations, <laughs> yeah, a lot better than some of them. Uh, I believe the reference coolers would have sold along AIB models pretty well, even under normal consumer demand levels. I assume he means for the, if they were similar prices. However, I believe the exorbitant AIB prices are easier to stomach when the majority of them beat reference coolers with a firm lead. Do you think AMD is working its way to match AIB cooler designs and performance? with future releases such as RDNA 3, or they always be happy playing second fiddle. Well, NVIDIA made some really impressive coolers for Ampere. And again, people would say, oh, the, the AIB one's cool better usually. Well, yeah, they're twice as big. <laughs> <laughs> and also the fans aren't as reliable on a lot of those AIB cards, guys. The amount of AIB cards I've had in the past break compared to reference cards, reference cards coolers almost never break down. So, yeah, and, and I... I I know it's just an aesthetic thing, but I, I tend to prefer the more pr professional-looking aesthetic of the reference designs. They just look so the, much cleaner. Than the majority than, of the AIB. Yeah, they just look... Usually, they look way cleaner than most AIB designs. Yeah, so... I mean, I would just say... I think you have to remember that the reference cards are usually sold to OEMs yeah. a lot of the time, and that they can't just break quickly that these are cards that you know the reliability factor is a bigger deal especially in the case of like cards like vega where it was literally the same cooler they were putting pretty much on some of their professional cards like literally the same delta fans those are meant to run for 10 years straight um and that's much more important to them than if it's quiet will you turn up the fan speed uh i think what amd's got going on now is probably what they're going to target the better the cooler the more expensive it is and uh, you know, as much as I make fun of those AIB coolers for being gigantic, uh, well, you know, also that did make them more expensive too. Like, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I, this has long been covered that AIB coolers, cooling systems for the 3080s were like usually over $100. <laughs> so I don't think AMD wants to pay $100, but they'd probably be happy now 
to put $75 into the cooling instead of like, I don't know, 40 bucks or whatever the heck they were doing with the 290X. Honestly, I don't even know if the 290X was $40 for that cooler. I think it was ridiculously cheap. Yeah, I, and I, I, I like them going for more expensive coolers, especially considering if they're if they're that damn cheap. Even like the $20 increase in the overall package or the overall bomb, like they don't really have to charge that much more. They will charge more than they need to, but they don't have to. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Let us move on to story number four. Intel Z HPG DG2 GPU-powered laptop and desktop gaming graphics card specifications leak out up to 4096 cores at 1.8 gigahertz at a 100-watt TGP. Now, this comes from Igor's lab, and I'm going to quote, though, from WCCF, since, of course, that's in German, and they basically translated it for us then. Published by Igor's lab, the latest details show a block diagram that suggests that Intel had initially planned Z, HPG, DG2 GPUs for its high-end Tiger Lake H chips, which are launching next week. But it looks like the lineup didn't align with the 11th gen CPU launch. Hence, they will now be introduced in the 12th gen Alder Lake P laptops that launch in the second half of 2021. Moving to the specific SKUs, Intel's top GPU lineup for the desktop mobility platforms feature at least five AQ. There's five SKUs, guys. Continuing, the first three SKUs are based on the BGA 2660 package and feature up to 512 execution units, which they already said. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, guys. Moving on, we have the uh, 384 GPU SKU, which is expected to comprise of at least three variants, the full fat chip featuring 3072 cores and 12 gigabytes of GDR6 and six gigabyte options too on a 192-bit bus. And then there is, of course, the 256 execution unit model that has a 128-bit bus as well and four or eight gigabytes of GDR6 memory. Uh, each Z DG2 GPU will come in various configurations, which will range from full fat chip to several cut down variants as you'd expect. So in summary, e Igor has the information on 512 execution unit, which I've already confirmed, 384 execution unit, which many people have leaked, but I've never had direct references to, or I have actually, but not as many as the other ones. It's, I'm not 100% on that model. And then also the 256 and 128 execution unit models. The interesting thing then, again, is that he seems to be sure of the 384 execution unit model and that it seems like the top 
you know, 512 execution unit card, which I said should beat the 30, could beat the 3070 at about 200 watts. He's saying that when you clock it lower than what I said for desktop, which is 1.8 gigahertz instead of 2.2, they may have models that fit a 100 watt package. And that's what they put the top max Q like 3070s, or I guess it's hard to say now because Ampere is all over the place, but at least before, yeah. 100 watts would typically be where you'd put like a 2080 max Q or something in a laptop. So, yeah, I mean, I think at that clock speed, depending on what the memory's clocked at as well, you could get something pretty close to a 3070 laptop edition at the same efficiency, if not better. It's really hard to say just because, you know, we don't know what the, well, we don't know exactly what the IPC will look like yet. But yeah, I mean, uh, 1.8 gigahertz, just 1.8 gigahertz, 4096 cores. Yeah, that'll probably be around a 3070, maybe a little stronger. And with, I don't know, 16 gigabytes of RAM, that sounds like that's the level of performance they're targeting is, you know, a little stronger than the 3070, somewhere in that area. Well, and he didn't say anything about performance, but, you know, I guess there's two ways to look at this. Then you could say, okay, so they gain a ton of performance by clocking it lower, just a little lower, which, yes, usually. Or you could say, well, if this uses 1.8 or 100 watts at 1.8 gigahertz, hmm, maybe that 2.2 gigahertz model isn't using over 200 watts eventually. But I reported it's using 250 watts right now. So we'll just have to see. Well, yeah, and, and uh, the laptop variants, I'm assuming, would be really high bin. So uh, 250 watts sounds like it could be realistic to me at 2.2 gigahertz or somewhere. That's in that what range. it was in the early testing. I don't know if they've improved it, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess this is worth bringing up because it's interesting that Igor, which I do trust, is reporting very similar things to what I did in terms of the lineup and uh, overall efficiency and performance, which is to say that. Competitive, competitive with Ampere and AMD uh, graphics cards in efficiency. But you'd hope so, because it's probably on 6 nanometer. Yeah. Roughneck writes in and says, Hi, Tom. What do you think of the recent Intel DG2 article, specifically the Alder Lake P interconnect between the mobile CPU and GPU being PCIe 4.0 with just 12 lanes? I seem to remember recent discussions about how AMD was being bottlenecked by the use of PCIe 3.0 with eight lanes. That was on the 5500 XT, which only had eight lanes, so it it would lose performance if you didn't have a a PCIe 4.0 motherboard. Initially, it sounded like this would definitely hamper AMD performance in the 4,000 and 5,000 chipsets. It may have been cost-saving design choice for the laptop makers by just doing what worked for Intel. Well, also keep in mind the mobile versions will be clocked lower. So, and that the, so I don't, you know, I don't think that's as much of an issue. Uh, I'm pretty sure you debunked this cost choice was an intern, was an intentional push from Intel of one of your podcasts, but I don't remember if you were talking about performance limiting factors, looking at how much more bandwidth Intel is going to be pushing with the new interconnect. Do you have any information on what AMD will have or how this will affect performance? I mean, look, I would just say that this is a mobile card that they're talking about here. And if the, you know, if in the mobile space, it only has access to 12 lanes of PCIe 4.0. I don't think that's going to be an issue at all for this level of performance. No, I, I think that's 12 lanes of PCIe 4.0. That sounds like it will be more than enough as it, if AMD needs to push their bandwidth more, I don't know. I, I think 
even three PCR 3.0 with eight lanes is probably mostly fine and it won't affect performance a ton. You'll see lower performance sometimes, but I don't feel like that bandwidth isn't really an issue. I don't know. I, I don't think no, it's an I, issue. I, and I think both both sides of this, you know, connecting an Alder Lake P laptop, which should have six big cores, eight little ones, to my understanding, like this with just 12 lanes of PCIe 4.0, I don't think it's going to bottleneck any NVIDIA or AMD graphics card. And you also have to keep in mind then for Intel's own uses, they might not be seeing absolutely any bottlenecks whatsoever at lower levels of PCIe lanes. Remember, different architectures benefit more from PCIe 4.0. I think we've seen that mm-hmm. pretty clearly RDNA 2 likes PCIe 4.0 the most. That seems to be true of almost every AMD generation that bandwidth is this thing that it just always benefits from more than its competitors. So I guess, I, I, but I don't think it's like some kind of intentional hampering of the competition. I, I don't think so. No. All right, let's move on to story number five, also originating from Igor's lab, but I will quote the translation from Tech Power Up. Today, we got some information from Igor's lab showing the leaked specification of the Intel Core 1800 processor engineering sample. While this may not represent the final name, we can see in the leaked information that shows that this processor is B0 stepping. That means that the CPU will see more changes than the final sample arrives. The CPU, as expected, has 16 cores, 24 threads. Eight of those cores are big ones with hyper-threading, while the remaining eight are smaller atom cores. They are running at the base clock of 1800 megahertz, while the boost speeds are 4.6 gigahertz with two cores, 4.4 with four cores, 4.2 with six cores. When all cores are used, the boost speed is locked at four gigahertz. The CPU has a PL1 TDP of 125 watts. This one they advertise. And then the PL2 configuration boosts to 228 watts. The CPU was reportedly running at 1.3147 volts during testing. A full data sheet is included. And of course, you guys can click on the links in the description for that. So I have that link. And then I also last minute added WCCF Tech. They say from their sources confirming Alder Lake stuff. I Honestly, almost all of it is stuff that I've leaked a very long time ago. And even other people have. The one thing that I would say is of any note that they point out um, which I, I also confirmed new coolers, by the way, WCCF Tech a while ago. Uh, I think it was due to height, though. Um, is So some coolers may still be compatible to my memory. Don't quote me on that, though, guys. That, that's my memory from a leak from a very long time ago that I did. Uh, but they also said that it's coming out in November. So I guess what I'm saying is, from Igor's lab, from WCCF Tech, Nothing really surprising here that hasn't already been confirmed on my end and from other people yet, but that it is becoming more clear that, yeah, it's it's launching by fall and, or yeah, by the end of fall, yes, you might technically say correctly, and that it yeah. is going to be 125 watts, PCIe 5.0, DDR5. The most interesting thing that I dug up in this, actually, besides the November release date, besides, I guess, also just pointing out that it boosts to the clock speeds we probably all expected, is that the pl2 tdp of 228 watts i hope that's not indication of the final unit that is higher than the pl2 tdp of rocket lake um i i don't look at this stuff enough but i guess the question i would ask i I don't know if you know this but are the b0 steppings typically less power efficient i i could see they very they can be yes and they often do not boost as high. So it wouldn't surprise me if one of the two is true. In fact, I would lean towards it being me that the 
Well, I, yeah, I, I lean towards it being that it'll, it, there's a good chance overall it'll boost higher. When you look at the base clock of 1800 megahertz, I wouldn't read into that at all. That could yeah. even just mean for the atom cores, guys, from what's being read. Um, but, you know, no matter what the PL2 and PL1 is, at the end of the day, you're just going to need to see what the actual power usage is in benchmarks because it's never the same for any test unit. Like Rocket League <laughs> goes far above it's PL2 configuration as well. Hopefully, this isn't a, an early indication that the power issue from Intel is still there. Because, you know, this Alder Lake is kind of the big, biggest departure from their architectures. And, I mean, ever, forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since, yeah, for a very, very long time. Maybe a so, decade. So, I guess I was, we were all hoping that some of their power issues were going away. I mean, this is an early indicator that it could not be true, but hopefully this is just the the fact that it's an early uh, engineering sample. Well, not an early engineering sample, but an engineering sample, and hopefully the power, hopefully the TDPs uh, actually reflect more closely the power usage that uh, that Alder Lake has, uh, (laughs) because I would be a little disappointed if it used 228 watts in the final designs. Well, I mean, it, I don't. This isn't an early engineering sample. I don't think this thing is almost there. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would. This thing's coming out, you know, relatively soon. So I would just say though that it might not be the issue so much as Intel may push it to five gigahertz in the final sample and make it use two hundred watts because Intel's decided people don't care. You know, that's that- the only other thing I'd point out is that if people buy. People bought Coffee Lake, people bought Comet Lake, people aren't buying Rocket Lake as much, but a lot of people don't care about that. And Intel may just go, hey, we're going to have less threads than AMD, so let's just make sure we win single, dual, and quad threading workloads by as much as possible. Yeah, that and it might be a story of uh, what they boost to, Rocket Lake boost to what, 5.1 gigahertz right now or something? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like 5 gigahertz basically. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be a story if their follow-up only boosts to 4.6 gigahertz, even if it's uh, substantially better in literally every way. Uh, <laughs> half, half a gigahertz reduction in clock speed would be a, would be a story that some people might latch on to. Like, well, their new ones aren't even higher clocked. And user benchmark would go crazy if they, oh, <laughs> if they were lower clocked. So they need to hit 5 gigahertz. Well, I mean... Yeah, I don't know that I really expect it to, though. What I would think is maybe, again, what's going on is that PL2 is so, if they can push, like, the one core to hit, like, 4.8 or 5 gigahertz for Mm -hmm. a second. Like, that's probably what that's all about, if I had to guess. But, yeah, I guess that's really all I have to say about this story. It's kind of just, again... Coming from Igor's labs, I think his tra- he he only ever seems to leak things when he's 100% sure. It basically just confirms a lot of the stuff we've already been talking about for a long time. And then that next to the WCCF tech, you know, November release with PCIe 5.0 and DDR5. Yeah, I, I mean, like, guys, it's coming out. And I think at a minimum, it's going to be substantially more competitive than Rocket yeah. Lake and Comet Lake. So it's real, guys. It's coming out. It's not being delayed. Ian Cutris. Yeah, and, and despite the uh, negative thing, I guess I had to say, or possibly negative thing, it's still going to be substantially better than what we have now and hopefully competitive with Zen. 
Oni writes in and asks, Hi, Tom, is there still a possibility that AMD will release Zen 3 Threadripper given the shortages? Um, I mean, I would say it's a maybe. From what I can discern, AMD really was considering skipping Zen 3 Threadripper. Like, I mean, let's be honest, what's the point of it? Yeah. Intel, Intel isn't launching anything HEDT. I guess they're, they're going to have some kind of Xeon ice like you can buy for desktop. But that's not HEDT. It's just still 14 nanometer Cascade Lake X. Forever, pretty much. Intel, Sapphire Rapids, like mid-next year. So AMD doesn't need to do a god dang thing. But... I don't know. With them, never it seems not having anything but an XT refresh uh, for the desktop, and possibly Zen Four being delayed a quarter. Although I don't think that's necessarily true. I think I, I I've seen some rumors pop up that Zen Four is delayed till late 2022. I see zero validity in those rumors. I think it's for sure coming out by mid 2022. You know, I could see where they'd go, eh, let's finally do it. Let's launch Zen 3 Threadripper. And if they do, I think it's like late summer, which is a while. I mean, <laughs> but it would be something to launch next to Alder Lake to steal some thunder. And it would also be, from what I'm hearing, guys, you shouldn't double down on, on Zen 4 core counts by the way. So, uh, and I've been hearing this for a while. I actually, on that note, I'm, <clears throat> I'd argue almost ready to do a Zen four league. I just can't decide if it's too early. Um, yeah. but we'll, we'll see about that. I think launching Zen three Threadripper then makes some sense. And I know they're launching all different types of weird Milan things. And so I don't know, I, I would say that it does seem right now. And I was saying, I don't, I'm not sure it's ever coming out for a while. I, it, I I would lean towards, yeah, I think Zen 3 Threadripper is coming, and I even am hearing some, seeing some interesting references that it may be a funky Zen 3 Threadripper. So, I don't know. something to look forward to. Sound, I mean, sounds fun. I don't know what you mean by funky, but... Yeah, um, I don't know. Some people are suggesting to me that it isn't base Zen 3, but it's not Zen 3 Plus either, and it's also oh, okay. not that special Zen 3 epic that i've talked about so it's just something else maybe but oh, I, I don't know i don't know what that would really mean but i think it's coming uh ivan k writes in hi tom how do you think our relationship with computers will change when mass production 3d stacking nodes becomes a thing in 2026 the question is whether average consumers will have any major benefit from 3d stacking besides better performance per dollar or this feature will continue to be a gimmick for an average pc user until 2030 Best regards from Germany. Well, I don't think you can call it a gimmick. That'd be like calling 5 nanometer a gimmick. It's a more advanced process or manufacturing. You know, in terms of if it's something you should expect in all consumer products soon, no. Am I going to put a year on when everything's 3D stacked? No, I don't think most things will be for a while. You know, there's benefits to a simple monolithic design. Yeah. Especially when it comes to cost, guys. So... I don't think I again, I think what you're going to see is I uh, even this year, AMD start to launch some 3D stacked uh, versions of things, maybe at the end of this year. And Intel is going to keep doing that here and there. But I wouldn't expect like a mainline 3D stacked architecture to have like everything in it 3D stacked until a few years from now. Like how will that change? How will that change the relationship with computers? I don't think it does for most people. I think just they get slightly better performance and that's what most people care about. Or <laughs> I don't even know if most people do even care about that. They just buy whatever they need to when they need to buy it. Yeah. 
So uh, I don't changing the relationship. Um, I would just say performance increases are going to keep coming, whether from 3D stacking, new nodes, or other technology that emerges, and that the relationship will be the same. It's newer, it's faster, people want it. <laughs> Three stacked or not, right? Yeah. All right, let us move on to the final main story, which I could have made one of the ones in the wrap-up, but I decided to do it here just because I I, I think we need to give Nintendo some airtime at a certain point. Um, story number six, the Nakei, I hope I said that right. Nintendo increasing Switch production to 30 million units for this fiscal year as the Switch Pro model looms. And I quote, respect the Japanese news publication, the Nikkei, or Nikkei maybe, has published a report that claims that the Kyoto-based company is significantly ramping up Switch production amid the rumors of a Switch Pro model, which is speculated to release later this year. The report states that Nintendo is increasing Switch production to 30 million units for this fiscal year, which ends the 31st of March, which would be Nintendo's highest production level to date for the popular system. Nintendo has commented on the report stating, there is nothing we can tell you about production numbers and higher-end models at this time. So I'm just bringing this up because I think any idea that Nintendo's moving to another hardware model is long gone. Like, this is by far a wild success. And this comes hot off the heels of the Company's future threateningly bad Wii U sales, <laughs> like, and the well, the Wii the Wii did exceptionally well, but I, I don't think it did. I don't think it did as well as it appeared to because no one gate really cared about it. Eventually, and yeah, eventually, and I think if that thirty million unit number is correct, that means it's probably going to be it's going to end up outselling the Wii should make the Switch the best-selling Nintendo console of all time, which would make <laughs> which would make it also one of the fastest-selling consoles of all time, and it already is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a it's incredibly fast-selling. It sold 85 million units in 4 years. That's in that's insanely impressive. Well, and fastest-selling is a an important thing to bring up here cuz again, people would forget that right, let me remember. So, I just want to make sure I get this right. I think Okay, so yeah, the Wii U came out after the 3DS. People would be good to remember that the 3DS was not doing well its first year, and that there was this one-and-a-half-year period where the 3DS launched was massively underperforming the DS, and then the Wii U launched and was a dud. There was this you know, late 2012 period where people were like, is Sony going to kill Nintendo with the Vita? Like, that certainly <laughs> did not happen, and those arguments look happen. funny in hindsight. But in hindsight, 3DS was underperforming, the Wii U was a dud, and the Vita was launching with an Uncharted game off of a successful generation from Sony with a lot of hype around the PS4. There was a reason to be worried about Nintendo's future. Now now that the Switch is out, that's long gone. But I think people need to remember how bad things were before the Switch came out and how Nintendo will look at the Switch in a similar way to... I'm trying to think of an example. Probably Sony looks at the PS4. Well, PS3 didn't do bad overall. But you know what I mean, right, Dan? Like when a company yeah. goes through a rough period and then they look at this one product that does gangbusters, it's like, yeah, this is going to be the hardware model Nintendo sticks to for the next decade, I think. Yeah, and, you know, shorter shorter generation times for Nintendo makes sense. They sell their consoles generally at a profit, so... 
they're not they're not recouping the initial uh purchase the entire generation like sony and microsoft are so are that initial investment into the user that sony and microsoft are so sony's going to want to release a console like every six to seven years uh nintendo maybe every four to five and it looks like the switch pro which i'm not sure what the switch pro is going to be exactly yet Mm. if that's I don't know if that's going to be a full new, like, is that a new console? Is it just, it sounds like a bit more than a standard, like PS4 pro refresh to me, but not, but so maybe comparable to like the one X was to the Xbox one. We're talking, you know, three, four times better, six times. It's not going to be like 10 times though. From what I'm hearing, it's not, it's not a full, full next gen, unfortunately, because I think they have room to just upgrade to a full next gen now at the end of this year if they can do it. And why not? It's not like people are going to stop buying the old Switch right away. It's not like, you know, you can't just have backwards compatibility and now everyone just buys the Switch Pro. But it, it, that's what it sounds like is in between a next gen and standard refresh. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I, I, I'll, we'll see what that looks like because. The way Nintendo does stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some games that are only on the Pro. That's complete speculation, and maybe I'll be wrong about that. But it just seems like it sounds like the Pro is supposed to be a pretty substantial increase over just like like you said, like the PS4 Pro. But I guess we'll see. Uh, <laughs> either way, the Nintendo Switch is going to end up selling well over 100 million units in four to five years, which... That's crazy, and uh, the I think the pro is gonna keep doing incredibly well because I know I I know a bunch of people that really love the Switch. I still haven't gotten one, but I know I, I just can't I can't justify what they're charging for a 720p Android phone performance. I just can't do it. Which again, at launch yeah. it was stronger than that, but it's not anymore. You know. Yeah. So it's a little they, too big for me too. I wish it was smaller. Yeah, I would love if they came out with another Switch that's decently stronger and a little smaller than what it is. And Even the portable version, guys, it's a little too big for me. Yeah, and also had a real Paper Mario game. Then maybe I would get it. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, and I'm not even kidding, is can they actually just make one real fucking Paper Mario game that's a turn-based RPG and get rid of the stupid sticker and circle shit? Can you just... I'm sorry, I'm mad. I just Can you, can you make it? Can you make Paper Mario again? Can you stop? Like, And at this point, you just have to go. It's almost like the Star Wars bad movies argument where you go. At this point, most Paper Marios are shitty Paper Marios. So I think we just have to admit, Dan, that it's not, I it's know. not Paper Mario anymore. I Nintendo know. decided that they were going to do nothing with that beloved IP. Yep. And we'll just be stuck with the Nintendo 64 ones and GameCube one forever, unfortunately. Yeah, that seems like it. But... All of this is to say, I'm looking at the sales here between consoles, and I mean, yeah, 85 million. They're crossing 85 million now sold for the Switch. They're going to make 30 million more. There were also rumors they're going to stop production soon, though, which is interesting. It would be it would be interesting if they're ramping up sales a ton and then stopping, and that's why they're ramping them up a ton right now. Well, yeah, because NVIDIA said that they're no longer going to manufacture the SOC for that, for the Switch, right? Which I... I, Oh, so that might be, again, why they're like, oh, well, then we're going to build 30 million more. Which, if they only built 30 million more, 
that would probably make it just barely not match with the PS4 we'll get to, which is 120 million. But otherwise, it seems like it's going to about tie the PS4, if not slightly exceed it. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Think how happy Nintendo is after selling like, I don't know, 13 million Wii U's or something. And Yeah, and that's good. Like, what, like you said, in 2013, it looked like Nintendo it was at death's door. And yeah, the Switch really revitalized Nintendo. All right, that's all of the main gaming hardware stories. Let us get into the wrap-up. So there's a story here about NVIDIA preparing a refresh of Ampere that just has further limits with a driver handshake on mining. Not much to say here. This just hurts gamers. Like I keep saying, this makes it so gamers can't profit off of their overpriced cards. But mining firms will do whatever they want. Then there's this big debacle that is probably one of the contributing factors to why people thought AMD's Fidelity FX Super Resolution wasn't coming out soon. Uh, 4A said that AMD's Super Resolution wouldn't work in their engine, except they didn't say that, basically, is what I'm seeing here. Yeah, I think they. I think people just mistook a slide that they put up for it meaning uh, Fidelity. Uh, FSR, <laughs> Fidelity X Super Resolution. I think people just mistook a slide or they had a typo in a slide that made people think it was FSR and then they clarified and now people think that FSR isn't a thing anymore. I'd say, you know, it was a slow news week that last week when uh, <laughs> like every story was like, this is never coming out and it doesn't work and it was just a typo. Um, I, have also, I also threw on a story here, a 2080 Ti, 22 gigabyte. I just think that's funny. Again, that someone was successfully made a 22 gigabyte 2080 Ti by just you know resoldering on different chips. If they, if someone could charge like fifty dollars or even a hundred maybe for me to send in my 3070 and get it back as a 16 gigabyte model with faster memory, I don't. I might actually consider just paying that. Yeah, it would be scary though to send that in unless it was a super reputable source that was doing that. Yeah, if there's like if anyone knows this guy, see if he'll just help out. Wow, he's wait. It's oh, not in English. He's in another country. Uh, I'm not shipping it international for that. <laughs> nah. I have another link here for. I thought just an interest. I can't, you know, confirm the validity of the argument he makes, but it seems like a lot of people agree this was a decent, uh, a well-researched post, and that's looking at where we are in ray tracing, which is to say we're nowhere near actually building our architectures for efficient ray tracing that we're, he called it, we're basically at RDN, at ray tracing 1.5. We're not even to two that there is room for massive performance boosts uh, eventually. Like if you were to actually put a decent amount of die space and design into making ray tracing efficient. Yeah. I, I mean, basically, yeah, he has a little flow diagram. Uh, right now, we're between... <laughs> he he has a, ta- a table of five hierarchies for what RT could do, can be, or how it's organized, and we're in between number one and two right now. So, basically, a lot of space to go. Uh, for, and showing that RT is really, really in its infancy. Yeah, I mean... I, I, that And I keep saying that's what surprised me. I thought 
you know, and a couple sources said that we might get there with Ampere. It turned out to not be true, of course, as we all know. That was an incorrect thing I had in my Ampere leaks. I thought we'd get to like RT 2.0 or something or 3.0. And I thought that was common sense, like that if you look at this diagram, that we'd move past something that's basically just an enhanced version of what Turing did, which is all Ampere really does. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you look at the 3070, it matches 2080 Ti performance. It also matches its ray tracing. So the argument that Ampere is better at ray tracing, it's not. It just has more cores. <laughs> <laughs> like if we really boil it down, or at least if it is better than a- uh, Turing at ray tracing, which in some newer games it seems like it's showing more, it's like 10 to 20% more efficient per SM. It's not, it, it's not it's, this big boost. Yeah, it's not, it's not doubling RT performance, really. Per SM, no. No, yeah. And um, and I just, yeah, I really thought they would go with at least doubling per SM and then the top unit being like three times better because that's where we need to get to. But yeah, Ampere just added a bunch of more cores for normal raster performance increases. That was a big surprise. And we have a long ways to go, guys. And I think people ask this question all the time, you know, when is it going to focus on ray tracing? I think RDNA 2, Three will get to full, if you want to call it that, ray tracing tier 2.0 or 3, but it's still mostly going to be about the raster. I do think RDNA 3 will have a big increase, actually, um, a, more of a focus, but I think RDNA 4 and like like Hopper or something is when, or whatever comes in 2022, 2023 from NVIDIA, or 2023, actually, is when we'll finally see that big increase. Yeah, but I still doubt it will be full ray tracing in 2023 it's well just... yeah well and keep in mind where we're at right if rdna3 doubles performance again that would be okay 4k 240 hertz 8k 60 hertz i think yeah. that's enough raster where we're finally going all right there's enough fuel in the tank for raster for a while let's maybe next gen will increase performance on raster by 30 percent, and then double triple relatively speaking ray tracing be far more useful to us yeah and then there's this rumor about the PS5 with a 15% boost, or or I called it that, a 6 nanometer PS5 in 2022. Uh, I reached out to someone who I think would know about this, and, and no, no proof of this yet. So I'm not saying it's not true, but I can't verify there's some 6 nanometer PS5. And if there was, I really think it's just going to be for the slim. And it'll probably, if I had to guess use like 10% less energy and then they'll just clock it slightly higher. So every game that it runs is a little more smooth. I, I don't think, I don't think this is the pro. No, well, and they just, I, well, I don't even know if they would clock it higher. This is just a typical re redesign of the console. They die shrink the consoles throughout the generation. Typically, don't they? I mean, if anything, it'd just be that dynamic boost, maybe 100% of the time at full boost for both cores and graphics instead of 99% of the time. Yeah. (laughs) And that just happens, whether they want it to or not. (laughs) Because it's a better node. Like the Xbox Series, uh, the, oh, God, these names. The Xbox One S, I hate having to go between one and series so much, you guys. The Xbox One S just naturally was like 10% better than the original Xbox One, whether Microsoft wanted to do that or not. Yeah, I guess that's true. There, uh, a, a better note is a better note, even if you don't try to 
mm-hmm. even if you don't do anything. To- Again, especially in the case of the PS5 that has dynamic clock speeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have another story here, server market share. AMD is up to n- almost 9% server market share. That's pretty huge news. They are continuing to make gains every year. And I just think this is important to point out because this is the real war for so for for uh, AMD's future is if AMD can by 2020, let's say 2024, get to 20%, 25% server market share because that's what will give them that. Getting to 20, 25% server market share, which is hard to lose, that is what will give them the war chest to keep competing toe-to-toe with Intel for decades to come. That's what they really need to get to. Uh, all of these other markets, you can lose market share rapidly back and forth. Well, yeah, like your people are buying a computer every two to three years. Those ser- those server contracts last uh, a long, a long and time. And their programs are often written to so yeah. that they're extra optimized for whatever they bought recently. Yeah, so they don't want to move on to a new company unless, you know, it becomes so much better of an option that they have to. And it's not just as the supply chain as well. Again, I think people underestimate, I did deal with this in automotive, like how much of it is just you know who to contact for every part of the supply chain if you work with one company versus another. And if you were to switch back to Intel from AMD, it's like, okay, so now who's the sales guy for this there? Who's What logistics do they use? What are their standard terms for shipping? All of that is a lot smoother if you just go through the same people over and over. And you don't want to move unless you have to. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like working, coordinating orders. Yeah. Like when I was uh, working in a lab as a technician, it's like you it's a lot easier to just <laughs> go through the people that, you know. <laughs> OK, and then we also have Cezanne desktop benchmarked. Surprise, surprise, guys. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about Cezanne too much more, though. But uh, yeah, the, the only thing I'll say about Cezanne on desktop is I, I wouldn't bet AMD's bringing this. To do it yourself anytime soon. It would not surprise me if like either something like Van Gogh or Rembrandt came out and that's what they actually put on there. Although I don't know. They who knows? Maybe they would just not bring those out to AM4 either. And they're just like, nope, 12 nanometer and do it yourself forever. <laughs> We're just waiting for AM5. Yeah. Um, but speaking of that though, is Rembrandt, and I do want to talk about this for like five minutes or something. Um, these rumors came out, uh, from executable fix on Twitter. I, most of this I think has been leaked, but to me, this seems more confirmed, shall we say, than it was before, which is to say, yes, Rembrandt is TSMC six nanometer Zen three enhanced or is uh, some kind of APU Zen plus RDNA two, 12 compute units, dual channel DDR five. But I do want to confirm that, guys. Dual channel DDR5. Same thing happened with Van Gogh leaks. Same thing's happening with Rembrandt. I ju- I think that dual channel. It's just the way these buses are read and the fact that LP DDR5 is technically like a lower clocked quad channel controller that I think people are confusing quad channel DDR5. And I would suggest the same for Zen 4, that that's likely on AM5 to just be dual channel DDR5. But... Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's that much for me to say about this, except that from where I'm looking at it, it's probably just Cezanne all year, maybe a Van Gogh release. Although, as I mm-hmm. said, I'm not sure that's ever coming out. Um, and then they also launch Rembrandt below Zen 4 early next year. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. 
Yeah, and again, when people see Zen 3 Plus, keep in mind, if you look at my Zen 3 Plus debunk- debunking video, the thumbnail shows desktop. I'm talking, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying I don't think Warhol was technically a full Zen 3 Plus. The roadmaps don't show a plus. And that, and he even tweets, I have not seen Zen 3 Plus on anything uh, uh, for besides Rembrandt. Executable fix confirms that as well. I cannot find anyone that has references to either Warhol being Zen 3 Plus. It's not. Or there being a Zen 3 Plus for desktop. I just continue to say I think that was made up by some people. <laughs> also, because this is from the this is from that same uh, like diagram that leaked a few weeks ago, isn't it? Uh, I don't what know. what the roadmap at the bottom? Yeah. Of this video cards article. Oh, that yeah. that this this one here came from late last year. This is the one that I think okay. is real. The ones after this, I think Redditors just added on other leaks that were coming out and confused everyone. Oh, got it. So well, why not? <laughs> well, that's the problem, though, is that everyone said, but look at the updated roadmap. No, this is them trying to piece in all of these other things on it. Which you can try to do, but that's that's a lot more <laughs> that is a lot more speculative. Uh, in a lot of ways so yeah uh especially when like guys you don't know which leakers they pulled from there are some that throw shit out every day <laughs> uh, i won't say who it is directly right now because i don't feel like it but yeah all right let us move on here then carbon cry writes in it says ps5 will get backwards compatibility i think and it will be the ps5 a new version of the console which includes everything of all previous consoles hardware in one package. And yes, that means even literally putting a Vita chip inside of it. No, but seriously, if Sony just like decided to put all of their hard to emulate hardware, an actual cell, an actual Vita chip into the PS5 and sold it for more, would this be a bad move in your opinion? And my answer, Carbon Cry, is yes. <laughs> I, I don't would that even be possible to do at this point? They don't make do they I, I, mean, I don't know. I'm sure process, they have stockpiles of it either way. But uh, no, I I don't think that makes any sense to do. And the fact of the matter is, again, PS Now is streaming PS3 games right now. My understanding is they do still use cell servers for that, for the PS3 games themselves, which is insane to me. But pretty soon, they're not going to. They cannot do that forever. I do believe that they have PS3 backwards compatibility working to a certain degree and that they just need to finalize it in a more general purpose way Right, not just being used here and there for certain games that they've approved, but actually make it proven enough that it works almost all games without issues and put it on the PS5. I and, that's and, you know, that's cheaper, cheaper than trying to make this Frankenstein console. And you know, Sony needs to figure out emulation at one some point if they want to continue uh, host it, having PS3 games on PS Now because eventually they're going to have to use servers that don't use cell processors, so they have to figure it out. At some point, and how how much stronger is the PS5 than the PS3? Like a hundred times stronger or something? Well, no, the the cell CPU is actually cell, as strong yeah. as the PS4s, so it's not arguably a little stronger, depending on if you used it well enough. Um, I, I, no, I mean I think, uh, I mean it's, I think it's like eight times better. It, it, it's to the point where if you put some effort in, it should easily maybe ten times better. It should easily be doable. Like the PS, like no, it should be doable. This is ridiculous. They just need to actually put in the effort. And, you know, there's that one uh, weird 
PS5 backwards compatibility trailer that they added a longer version on that just showed PS4 backwards compatibility. I think I tweeted, why the hell did they just tweet? Did they just put out a trailer today showing we have PS4 backwards compatibility? This makes absolutely no sense to show off. Well, Xbox is getting 120 hertz 4K working with titles going back to the original Xbox. Like, guys, Sony, unless... Again, the original video didn't show the PS4 part unless they've already just pre-rendered longer versions and they're trying to get PS3 working and they don't want to announce it until it's fully ready. That's the only thing I will say is that it is maybe a good marketing move to get people like, why did they release this? And then later, oh, because we now have it working. But otherwise, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I I hope that's what they're doing because that video did not make sense. Infinity Gems writes in and asks, Hey, Tom, some pans dropped last week. This won't come up with a manual search. I had to dig through thousands of uploads from weekly bulk listings on the patent office. Sony uploaded a new detailed patent with details focusing on 5 gigahertz wireless VR setup, along with supporting patents on MIMO space time block coding data transfer, utilizing multiple antennas within a display device. What do you think of a PSVR 2 with two offerings? A wired version with 1400p or 1800p resolution pry, super crisp aliasing and high native frame rate, and a full wireless VR headset with 1080p or 1440p, but with scaled back visuals and aliasing techniques for bandwidth reasons, but fully wireless for X hours of uptime, possibly lower quality panel, LCD versus OLED if wired, opening up a price range of 249 wireless, uh, 349 wire, but significant enhancements. Um, I guess let, let's just back up. Uh, well, he goes, love the content. Thank you for the good work. Oh, thanks for, you know, we do it for you guys, but to, I think let's just call your question. Do you think they would have two versions? And I think possibly, I always heard there was a wireless thing they were working on, but they just confirmed a wireless one in a press release for PSVR two as well. I think that you could see an offering where they just have two versions, wireless wired, but I don't think they'd go with different resolutions. I think 1440p per eye is pretty much perfectly matched to 120 mm-hmm. hertz for the performance of the PS5. Some scaled back visuals probably for plenty of games, but like if they can do 4K 16 ray tracing pretty much in Resident Evil 8 right now, double 1440p is actually still a lower resolution than 4K. And so I think that's probably the most you'd want to target for the PS5 anyways. And I think what they would do is just have a cheaper wired version and then maybe the more expensive wireless version for those who can afford it. I think that might be what Sony's working on. I I would say uh, my immediate assumption would be that the wireless version is more expensive than the wired version. I guess that could be misguided, but that just seems to inherently make more sense to me. Unless, of course, they can't transmit the data fast enough to... Which is his argument, right? Yeah. But you also have to add in the factor that not everything Sony patents goes into a device that you buy. They patent a lot of crap. Like, remember, there was that big debacle last year over the patent of the cartridges for the PS5. And people are like, are they going to use game cartridges or cartridges, cartridges, cartridges? I, 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 I... that's your impression of people talking about that? Cartridges, cartridges, cartridges? Yeah, th- that was like a thing I just saw online for like three weeks that Sony was going to go back to cartridges because there was some weird patent that they put out. I, I just don't think everything they patent is goes into a product. They're just protecting their IP. Yes, I would agree. But 
And again, just to round out this reader mail question, uh, I just think overall, if they're going to do segmentation with a wired and a wireless, they'll logically decide the wireless one's the premium version because that's what people who have more money would pay for. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so that's those ones. I didn't technically include those in the final reader mail, so it kind of had to do with the more console questions we had in the final wrap-up. But now we are. Now we are to the final reader mails, Dan. Um, Andy1299 writes in and asks, not a question, but I want to defend Charlie at semi-accurate. His arguments in 2018 and 2019 about Intel 10 nanometer as a busted note is that Intel just shouldn't make it. His argument in 2020 slash 2021 is that the node isn't economically viable in the semiconductor sense. There's some truth in this in that both Intel 10 and 11th gen are mixed and that you have 14 and 10 nanometer SKUs, 10 nanometer with letters, uh, with letter SKUs. Go to HP and Dell and you'll see a lot of 14 nanometer product mix in, which makes it seem like Intel is using 10 nanometer as a way to sell the broader lineup. Looking at the ASML last couple of quarters of units sales in Intel, North America is single digits, which is not in line with traditional ramp-ups. I will say that Charlie does look a little stuck trying to d- justify past comments right now, but that doesn't detract from the above. Well, I mean, Andy, I would say that I don't really disagree with anything you said. My point when I brought up Charlie at semi-accurate talking about Intel's 10 nanometer in a previous episode was simply that, no, he was right that it was busted. He was right that Intel's lying. He was right that it's not going to be ready for a long time, but that it turned into opinion when he said they should never release it. And that it seems like he never lost that opinion and is acting like that's now a fact that it's never coming out when you can buy 10 nanometer products easily. Again, I was just at Best Buy, Mountain of Tiger Lakes there. Alder Lake is coming out, guys, and they are retooling some of their 14 nanometer fabs, a lot of them actually, to 10 nanometer. They wouldn't be doing that to not make stuff. It works now. They're making four, they're making 600 millimeter squared ice lake chips, hundreds of thousands of them. They're real. And to advance your process, you need to, 10 nanometer needs to work at some point. They can't just say, well, I guess 10, 10 nanometer doesn't work. I guess we'll just move on to seven. It, they, 10 nanometer needs to work before they can keep advancing their nodes. And again, right? It's not to say that I disagree with anything Andy said here. I agree. Yeah. And I agreed with every most things Charlie said to a certain point. It's just like, again, it was fact that he was reporting Intel's 10 nanometer was behind and busted. It was opinion that they shouldn't release 10 nanometer. An opinion I disagree with, by the way. They need something as a stopgap to seven. I disagree. It, they needed to get it working. And now it is. And then at some point, Charlie forgot that they shouldn't release it as an opinion, not a fact. It's out now. And it almost seems like he keeps saying it's not coming out, even though it's been out for a year. Yeah. Now, it hasn't been ramped fully yet, but it's ramping right now. And if you disagree, it's like, okay, but that is my opinion. That's not, to, that, that is what I think. So <laughs> Ben Cannon writes him, do you think AMD will ever become as big as Intel is? Or how long will it take for AMD to become this size Intel is right now. I don't think they will ever be the same size, in my opinion. I mean, it wouldn't be until... For AMD to become as big as Intel, I would say Alder Lake would have to be bad, Meteor Lake would have to be a bust, and... Or at the very least, AMD exceeds them in performance, continues to exceed them in performance again. That Alder Lake catching up to Zen 3 was a blip, not a start of a new trend. Like, that's what would have to happen. And even then, as big... 
I mean, earlier in the episode, didn't I say AMD desperately needs to try to get to 25% server market share by like 2024? So it's 25%. <laughs> They're at 9% now. There's this, uh, uh, it seems like an implied belief that a lot of people have that Intel is dying when they still have 90% of the server market. <laughs> Even though AMD is making great strides and taking market share, and that's not good for Intel. They still have 90% of the market in servers. Or not, they yes. don't have 90%. Intel, AMD still only has 10% of the market, though. There's not other even. smaller competitors. Yeah, <laughs> there's other smaller competitors too, so I'm not gonna can't say Intel is 90 percent though. Oh right, okay. Um, so it's gonna take a while for AMD to catch up to Intel, and I doubt they ever will have complete parity with Intel in every space. Not to mention they're a fabless uh, company, so Intel also has all of those fabs that they're working on. I, I yeah, I don't think Intel ever gets as big as. I mean, AMD ever gets as big as Intel. No, unless Intel is dying. <laughs> yeah, right, which is what it would take. And, and and when I say AMD needs to try to get to 25% by 2024, I don't think they're going to. You know, and so the answer is, how long would it take for AMD to become the same size as Intel? Uh, seven, eight years from now? And they would barely be tying them, maybe? That, that That's what I think, unless there's just this complete collapse. Like, it turns out seven nanometers never coming out from Intel which I don't think is going to happen. And all these architectures that I've been told they're working on are all bad. That's what it would really take because Intel has so much momentum and more market share still. Yeah, not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I don't think so. Yeah, because the other option would be into AMD grows like what, like seven times <laughs> its current size in five to 10 years. QH Freddy writes in and says, on account of the implementation costs and inflexibility, HBM clearly isn't the silver bullet a lot of people had been expecting. And I have serious doubts as to whether the bandwidth jump we are getting with DDR5 over DDR4 is something that can be replicated over several generations. Could you give some insight into future or emerging memory technologies and whether or how they will be used in the consumer gaming and x86 hardware space? Um, yeah, I mean, I would just say HBM I don't think was ever intended to be a silver bullet. But at the very least, what I will say is Sapphire Rapids is going to use it uh, from Intel and CPUs. I believe AMD is looking to use that with Zen 5 at the very least, and probably versions of even Zen 3 and Zen 4, just so you guys know. Um, so it's going to be used, but it's expensive. It doesn't make sense to use on every product, but you'll see it more and more on different types of things. And when it comes to DDR5 over DDR4, um, yeah, I think at launch, it's not going to be much better because of the higher latency, you know, of the cast. So yeah. n no doubt on that as usual, but that in a few years, DDR5 speeds will be like equivalent to GDDR5. I mean, that's, it's pretty impressive and that should be enough for a while. And then DDR6 doubting that they'll have something else come out. I think, I mean, there'll be a DDR6, I'm sure. And when that comes out though, I think you will just see you know, again, like we've talked about, how many cores do you really need? Once you get down to like TSMC 2 nanometer, do you need to go to 64 cores on consumer or would it be better to use a third of that die space for cash? Like, I think yeah. <laughs> we're going to see more and more cash be used and, you know, chiplets of cash be used as well. Yeah, so I guess, and I don't know, DDR5 maybe will just be stuck on that for a while especially but we've been using gdr4 since yeah 
if we're stuck on it for a while, I don't think it will matter, especially if cash starts getting bigger and kind of eating up some of the uses that uh, RAM has or memory currently has. And there's other things besides HBM that I think are being worked on as well. And also cheaper versions of HBM with like less stacked layers and but higher speeds that Samsung's been working on. So there's other ways of doing this where I think HBM will have versions that are cheaper as well. Yeah. Just not yet. Rads writes him, thanks for the great content. I just finally decided to support you guys on Patreon. So woot, woot. thank you, Rads. I'm just going through the final ones here. A couple of, couple of nice ones to round out episode 100. Nathan Mose writes in, is there any chance that you might make an Amazon wish list so that patrons might be able to buy items needed for the channel? I know that you've been talking about getting a test bench and this might help that come sooner. I do have a cheaper test bench that I did end up using a couple times recently because I had to, uh, to work out some things. So I have one already with Skylake, but obviously that's a low end one. In terms of you guys buying things for the channel, no, guys. Uh, and that goes for two reasons. I don't want to turn into one of those channels that, from my perspective, just vampires off of its fans, you know, buying them stuff all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, the 6700 XT that I tested and then sent to you, I paid, I paid the price for it, and I was offered to not have to. And it's like, no. If you want to support us, you, you know, if you want to send us some beers... Or, you know, some chi some chips from Germany that I can't get here. I think that's nice. You want to like, write us letters. We have a P.O. box. You guys can look at it in the description or on the Moore's Laws Dead website. But overall, just support us on Patreon. Really. Yeah, you don't need to spend, send like, a, a buy like a $300 motherboard. No. For the channel or something. You know, and we'll get things when we need them for the best deal we can get on them. And sometimes we can get better deals like we did on some of these cards uh that we're using now so just just support us on patreon that is the best way to support the channel by far and remember if, if you you know then we can make the purchasing decisions that week that we need to make and and sometimes that means making sure dan and gerard get the right amount of pay which is a big <laughs> part of that as well so and and you know, we're, we're crossing episode 100. Remember, if you do support us, there's this huge back catalog of ad-free versions of Broken Silicon. I think we're at, like, Die Shrink 44 or 45 now. So you have all of those episodes that will always be exclusive to patrons about things you guys had us vote on. You know, old gaming, classics, specific releases. Like, I don't know, like, we did one on Intel Atom phones. We've done mm -hmm. ones on... I mean, all different types of things. We're probably going to do one on SteamOS, the 28 nanometer era, all of these other things we're working on right now. And that's exclusive to patrons in addition to the back catalog of other projects like Hits and Gems and Flyover States and any other things we come up with. So if you want to support us, just join the tier you can afford every month, you know, and uh, don't worry about buying us swag. Oh, there is merch if you want that. But the merch was really there because people asked for it. I don't really get much <laughs> money from that. Yeah. Anything else to add, Dan? Uh, happy 100 episodes. That's yeah, I know. Deal. It's funny. It's like, I don't know if there's something special we should do, but we kind of did something special on the one year anniversary. I think we missed the two year anniversary already, actually, now that I think about it. Did we? I think the two year. We, oh, we would have to go back and look. It should be 104, shouldn't it? It would be. It would be around that because the first few episodes were weird, but yeah. Well, remember, though, the 52nd episode actually was to the day because we also oh, yeah, did yeah. an extra one 
or two some of those weeks during the Christmas period. That oh, yeah, made up for fair. the early days where we weren't putting one out every week. So I think I think the two year anniversary is sometime in I thought I thought we started it in like June of 2019. Yep. And so it should line up again that 104 is the two year anniversary. So maybe we'll have more special thoughts then. But otherwise, I don't really have anything special to say here. You know, frankly, I was just too busy getting that other leak out, getting this done and moving in to think about doing anything special. But we'll see on the two year anniversary. Yeah. Uh, then two years. We've been doing this almost two years. I know, man. It's weird. It's weird, brah. And now, weird, like, and, and we were talking about this before. The first 100 episodes was the era of Dan killing fish. We are now in the frog killing era. The frog killing 100. Maybe even 200. I don't know how long this era is going to go for. but This could be a new, a very, an extra long era. Bigger w- aquatic creatures being killed and bigger episodes every week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not support us after hearing that? I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, that was a rousing endorsement for the next <laughs> All right. I'm rambling. We're getting off subject. Thank you to all of those who support us. Thank you for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels.
Brad Mellon, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasset, Justin Payer, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegard, Josh Lodge, ABG, Travis Gooding, Mechanical Philosopher, Lee Booking Kilo, Fatboy Dizaru, Daniel Hyde, Damn It Logistics, Tara Reed, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name Is Nobody, Joel Curry, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, L, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Michael Maggie, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Grow, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, HardForeRoom.com, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot, Zoot Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu Olenian, Nanyan, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dane Golanowski, Eric's Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Faldas, Carnivore Bear, Denovan Russell, Zebra Zebras, Licky, Man Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Spencer King, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loya, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Samuel, Caillou Markelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Rodney, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Ref Schneider, My Sharona, Jay uh, Yatrui, Roman, Jacob Stankowitz, Herr Ratz, Wakir Khan, Deshiel, Ashel, Dar Epstein, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malaz, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Mead and Pork, Jimmy N.G. Mads, Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Jay Jitz, Shield TV Couteau, Dame P., John Wizink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jass Kawiak, uh, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, and thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>